This month in our newest digital issue, Global Sport Matters is reflecting on one year later in the pandemic and what its impact has been on the world of sports so far. In the news and across all media, we find stories from professional leagues and athletes that help give us some insight into life during the pandemic. But what about other stories and experiences out there? And what do we wish we knew then that we know now? Today's show focuses on four voices from the world of sport who sat down to answer four questions from us. Ilham Hunewald, board member of South African Sports Olympic Committee and chief director of Matisse Sports at Stellenbosch University. Lori Okimura, Paralympics delegate and former chair of USA Volleyball. Brent Kaway, member of the Pawnee Yuchi tribe and co-founder of Indian Sports, a digital resource for Native American sports news and Dr. Fitzhill, former head football coach for San Jose University. We were curious to know when the pandemic became serious in their lives and what this past year has revealed about sport, how essential it is to our community, and looking back, what would or what should we have done differently? And also, what would they want to tell their communities? Although no one could have predicted all that the past year has been, we can start to answer somewhat what does life in a pandemic look like one year later? Share your story with us for a future podcast. Go to globalsportmatters.com for more. Where were you when you realized the pandemic was serious? I recall that it was a Monday. We were all at work awaiting an announcement to take place that evening of the 23rd of March. When, of course, our president announced a national lockdown that would start on the 27th of March and that that would run up until the 1st of May, but that um, there would be a gradual and a phased easing of the lockdown restrictions, hopefully lowering the national alert level to four. And this meant that we could only leave our homes for the absolute essential stuff and therefore could not be at the office. So the usual office discussions um, took place um, and with the order of the day, with us anxiously waiting to really understand what this means for South Africa. And of course, an experience never felt before. The Stellenbosch University Marty Sport um, is a huge responsibility. And as the leader, uh, of course, it was my responsibility to come up with whatever was necessary and considered as a priority or priorities. And for me, the first was to take care of my staff, and my staff in turn to help to take care of our students. I was very much at ease knowing that our university would be able to deal with this, but um, we are part of a town, a province and a country, and all of those things needed to be taken into consideration that will help us to provide direction. So about a year ago when the pandemic was declared, uh, I was actually um, coming home from a business trip and to give some context, you know, in my line of work, I deal with global sporting events, live events, um, sports and entertainment is is my business and my industry. And that requires um, obviously a lot of coordination around the world, a lot of um, communication, and certainly a lot of travel. So it's not uncommon during this time, you know, time of the year and, and uh it wasn't uncommon at the beginning of the pandemic for me to have been on an airplane returning home from, from a big tournament. Uh, this time it was the World Paravolley Tokyo 2020 Paralympic um, qualifying event for women's sitting volleyball. 
um, very exciting, the last team to qualify. And, you know, there's a certain amount of anticipation. The games were scheduled to take place uh, later in the year. And then all of a sudden, everything comes to a screeching halt, you know. And uh, the irony that, that I was on a plane when it all happened, um, where I spend a fair amount of my time uh, over the last 30 years in my career, I'm flying from here to there. Um, and now I look... Uh, looking at my calendar, and I haven't been on a plane since the pandemic was declared, since I came home from, from Canada. I haven't been able to return uh, back to my home in Hawaii. I'm, I've been uh, staying in California with family. And certainly, I think, like, like everyone, I imagine um, there was some confusion at first about exactly what was happening you know, with the pandemic, what will happen with our sporting events, what will happen with day-to-day -day life, where can I go? Um, how can I keep myself from getting sick? And how can I keep um, other people around me from getting sick as well? You know, how do you take care of the community around you? Looking back and realizing when the pandemic was serious, I can tell you the date for me. It was March 12th of 2020. And I was at the Big 12 Men's Basketball Tournament Championships in Kansas City, Missouri, covering the Native American athletes that were um, playing in the games. And it was the day that they shut down the Big 12 tournament. And the night before, we had covered the games, the Wednesday games, and uh, it was a full arena. It was a full media staff. It was uh, everything as it's always been with the Big 12 tournament. And later that evening, um, after the games were over, we had watched the ESPN news uh, about the NBA game that was canceled because of COVID. And that just sent shockwaves through the sports community um, as to this is a real serious type of issue. And the NBA decided to cancel this game and kind of just woke me up, woke the world up a little bit, um, that this is something that needs to be taken real serious at this point. And uh, for the safety of everyone, it was in the best interest to, you know, cancel that game. March 12th, um, that Thursday morning, I think there was some 11 o'clock games. So I got to the Sprint Center at the time, uh, about 9 o'clock, and I was waiting for my photographer to arrive as well, and uh, Reed Williams. And uh, when he got there a little bit after I did, uh, we went to go and... Uh, catch up real quick and grab a bite to eat um, in the media area. And just getting there, you could feel a different vibe. You could feel almost like a somber vibe of, you know, like what's going on. So we're visiting and one of the Big 12 um, runners they had there came to the media area and announced that there was going to be an emergency 10 o'clock press conference. And uh, in our minds, we were thinking, oh, this is just going to be an official response to what the NBA did and maybe what the Big 12 is going to do as far as continuing the tournament or limit fans or so on and so forth. We, and, you know, the press conference came around and basically said they were canceling both the men's and women's Big 12 um, basketball championship. And that's when, you know, number one, I was in shock, you know, that, wow, you know, and then number two, that uh, this is real. This is a real thing and it needs to be taken serious. I realized the pandemic was serious when as watching the Big East basketball tournament, it was canceled at halftime and all games were 
postponed till further notice. But it really hit me uh, later in the week or the following week um, as my son, who was playing basketball uh, at Salt Lake City Community College, they had received a number four seed in uh, the national tournament in Kansas City, which is supposedly one of the, you know, big time junior college basketball uh, tournaments. And he was excited. They had won their conference uh, number four seed in the nation. And they were going to be traveling to the Midwest from Salt Lake. And me as a father, I was really excited about spending that time uh, with him. However, that event within itself was also postponed. And that really hurt him. It was not hurt him, but disappointed him that something that their team had worked so hard for uh, was not going to be able to to happen. But neither was March Madness for uh, the colleges able to take place as well. I just remember consoling my son and saying, you know, hey, it's bigger than than a basketball game. Uh, but for him, uh, something that had been something that he and his whole teammate worked so hard for to to receive a number four ranking uh, in the National Junior College Basketball Tournament and not to be able to play it was something that I know he will remember uh, for the rest of his life because they were thinking that they were going to win the national championship, but the pandemic did not allow them the opportunity uh, to do that. Has the past year changed your perception of sport or revealed anything new? So this past year has definitely enhanced my perspective of sport. Perhaps hasn't really changed it as much. I, I really value sport in my life and then the lives of others, um, just sort of as a general principle. What I think this past year uh, maybe taught me or enhanced in my belief that sport is a really, really valuable part of life is when you don't have something um, around or can't participate in something how much you realize it means to you, or also, you know, being able to witness firsthand um, what happens when people can't gather, can't exercise, you know, can't share those moments, you know, together that sport brings us. And that really applies to whether you're playing sport competitively at the elite level, recreationally, or whether you just enjoy um, watching or being an enthusiast or a fan, right? A lot of people you know, use sporting events as social gatherings. You know, let's go to the baseball game. Let's go, you know, watch hockey. Let's go to the football game this weekend. You know, there are definitely social benefits, you know, to gathering with sport. I think one, you know, one of the things that I'm maybe most uh, engaged in thinking about, you know, during this pandemic regarding sport is, you know, how do we move forward, right? How, um, what will sporting events look like? I think the NWSL, the Women's Soccer Pro League uh, in the U.S., uh, was the first to go back to live events in our country. And it was, you know, really kind of breathtaking, you know, both in a nervous sort of, I really hope everyone's going to be okay, you know, sort of way, but then also to be able to see those women, you know, out on the pitch and out on the field, being able to, you know, to sort of bring us back to, a unifying event, you know, a sense of normalcy, you know, whatever we thought normalcy was. But this past year, I think, has really shown how resilient that the sporting industry is. It's shown how integral 
sports and live events are to um, to sort of the social interactions, you know, that we have on a on a regular basis. Maybe we took that a little bit for granted before the pandemic started. We certainly won't take it for granted um, coming out of it. Um, to see the look on people's faces when they can get back into the arena and watch their favorite basketball team play or, um, you know, have some friends that uh, their son, you know, plays collegiate basketball for UCLA and they were able to finally see him play live after, you know, almost a year, a little or over a year rather, you know, and so... There are those moments that I think as we slowly return to um, engaging again in live sport and, you know, being able to attend in person, I think that we'll have those, you know, those kind of aha moments, those relieving moments, those special moments. Um, but then we also really have to consider moving forward, you know, how how do we continue to observe and be responsible about keeping sport in perspective, Right. Attending a sporting event is not worth somebody's life. The, the past year has certainly changed my perception about sport and some new things were revealed. Um, and I'd like to quote the late Nelson Mandela who once said that sport has the power to change the world. However, for me, this pandemic changed the world and sport happened to be an area that was heavily impacted, perhaps completely unexpected um, for us in the way that it happened. So yes, the past year definitely changed my perceptions but I think most importantly revealed the importance of human beings. Uh, we are social creatures, so it was extremely difficult for us to, to, to settle in and just to be, you know, to be away from each other. And undoubtedly the, the, the pandemic has shaped existing and future sport with uh, a, a different emphasis now on, on, on health and well-being exercise, uh, the provision of community sport. We understand the massive, massive impact and of course, the participation, probably um, in a way not seen since um, World War II. The, the true scale is hard to quantify. And, and over the last couple of months, um, a lot of research has been done. A lot of webinars have been hosted where people spoke about the financial loss, the human loss, the loss of not being with each other and therefore strongly related to our mental well-being because we understood how busy we could be with sport as part of our health and well-being and a holistic approach, particularly for our young people, our elderly, people in our communities that could no longer go for walks, that could go to the parks, students that could no longer get up in the morning very early being in gymnasiums, people just cycling, running, walking, these things could not happen for a few weeks. I happened to be part of a series of webinars uh, arranged by a community sports structure, and it was evident um, th there were fears and, and the pressure of uncertainty, uh, the concerns about the livelihood of the organizations, and, and the fact that at that point, um, people in leadership and management almost felt that they didn't know which direction to take. Um, and so these virtual and online opportunities was a way to try and keep people motivated. And I must tell you that we had great, great participation. And, and in a country like South Africa, uh, more and more um, our socioeconomic inequalities were so evident. Uh, and so uh, it, it, it revealed our weaknesses. Um, uh, because we needed to deal with the, with the unknown. This year has changed the perception 
of sport for me in a few ways. Number one, you saw the impact or the value of sport throughout our country because the emphasis of having the games from football to basketball to all the events track that our communities, our, our cities, our nation need these activities that we draw together, uh, that we come together. You know, sports have always been a transformational activity uh, from the civil rights movement to the Olympics. Uh, sports have done so many things for our, for our country. I haven't postponed baseball and for, for colleges and, and not been able to play fall football at, at the historically black colleges because of the community uh, that that builds around the classics and the gatherings that that bring up uh, to, to promote uh, unity and oneness um, were taken away because of the virus. So it just lets you realize the importance of athletics, uh, not just for the gang, but for the community that it builds. As far as to how the past years changed my perception of sport, I think what you've seen is how important it is to communities, not just in the sense of the kids playing, but in the sense that it's it's part of the fabric of America. You know, sports is intertwined with everything that we do in our daily lives. Um, whether you're participating in it, whether you're a coach or a spectator, uh, a fan, a parent, a relative, a business, a manufacturer, sports is highly intertwined with our economies as well as our communities. And when you take those things away, you realize how big of an impact it was. And I think that's why you've seen such a huge fight for sports to be reinstated because it goes to the building of the psyche of the community. And that's just one thing that I've kind of seen the perception of sport of how big it is in all communities. Knowing what you know now, would you have done anything differently? Knowing what I know now, I really don't know. Uh, the pandemic was such a first on so many occasions. Uh, when I think back about you know, my son dealt with some 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 issues around his breathing uh, because of uh, catching the coronavirus and uh, me watching him try to compete and having having um, difficult time breathing at time. And, and, and as his father coaching him growing up, I recognized that. And um, unless I had been involved with him at an early age watching him, I wouldn't have recognized that. So uh, the things that I tell parents is that really play pay close attention to your child uh, if they've been impacted or uh, have dealt with the personally dealt with the infection of the coronavirus and, and to make sure that they're not putting sports ahead of health. And I think those things are incredibly important right now because back to my earlier statement of, of how sports can do so much positive for the community. Maybe we have to be very precautious uh, in trying to put young people back out on the field because of something that we miss and something that we want to see. Uh, so uh, be precautious uh, in, in in trying to to roll things back out um, before their time and make sure that that we could keep health the priority of health and safety a uh, number one 
as we learn more about it, because when you don't know, uh, you're ignorant about things to do. And, and the virus is something that we didn't have knowledge of because it was a first and how it, it impacted our country. So in sort of looking back on the year that was the pandemic, the lost year of 2020, you know, I took the decision immediately that I was going to follow the science, follow the instructions, stay home, you know, observe all the hygiene protocols, observe all the um, self-isolation and quarantining suggestions because, you know, I, I value my health. I value the health of those around me. I've been a caregiver for uh, sick family members and friends, uh, and I have in my family um, people who are living with uh, with high risk, you know, medical conditions, including myself. My mother is a cancer survivor, luckily in remission, and so, you know, my mind immediately uh, went to the science of it all. Would I wear a mask if I was with her in the oncology wing uh, as she was getting her chemo? Absolutely. Do I feel that it was a you know, burden on my personal freedoms to be asked to wear a mask to keep all those cancer patients safe? Absolutely not. You know, and so why would I look at you know, COVID in any, in any other light? You know, if I'm asked to do something that might help protect myself or protect the people around me, um, for me personally, that's always going to be the first choice. Right. And I understand, you know, that there was a lot of of uh, debate, if you will, I guess, is the most polite way to put it. Um, but really, in the end, it comes down to, you know, knowing what I know now about how quickly this virus spread and the, the global implications, you know, certainly the global pandemic, right, and the implications of that. Um, I absolutely would do the same. Would I have done things differently knowing what I, I know now? Uh, yes, definitely, uh, but but perhaps one or two areas because we didn't expect this global pandemic. But I think if we look at how we transformed and changed the way and how we started to work, uh, perhaps one thing I, I think as sport and not just myself that, that we could have done differently was the investment in technology. Um, this is one specific area of, of division within the increasingly disconnected delivery system where for, for in, in, in a country like South Africa, I mean, the digital poverty that prevented so many people, individuals uh, from the socioeconomic disadvantaged backgrounds to have access, to be part of things, to, 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 bring, to bring people in to be part of innovation, new way of accessing sport. Unfortunately, those tools were and still today are not available to, to try and, 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 and get our communities to think differently about sport. The realization, um, obviously, is that there's, a, that there's a, a big scope for sport development professionals to understand more about this area um, with, in relation to policy and moving from policy to practice. Uh, and, and, and these changes were almost forced upon us. And indeed, um, academic research uh, is needed, but also a more pragmatic experience um, and the, this is this is definitely in its infancy stage. So, so I think doing things differently, we, we have an opportunity to do this now. And the question is, what's next? What do you want to tell your community? As far as telling our Native American communities, I would definitely say that, you know, we have to be prepared for the next pandemic. We have to be prepared for the next virus. Um, we lost a lot of uh, elders, um, leaders in our community, people with sacred knowledge, people with language knowledge, 
Um, we lost a lot of leaders, and we have to be prepared to have people step into those roles immediately in those communities. And I think that's probably what I would want, you know, to tell my community and other communities um, is to be prepared for the next pandemic because it may not happen next year or 10 years, but, you know, we have to have a plan to keep our cultures and our traditions and our languages alive um, as we always had throughout our history in the United States. What do I want to tell my community? Well, one thing we learned through this pandemic is that it made us really uncomfortable, but being uncomfortable gives you a lot of opportunity to grow because you never grow in comfort. And the pandemic made us look at things totally different and to do things differently. And so just to maintain flexibility, and I, I, I hope that we learn flexibility uh, from dealing with the pandemic because we, um, we, sh the America show resiliency in 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 working uh, to keep our country in operation. The way individuals came together with PPP materials. Uh, I, I heard a story the other day about a company just changed this whole. A delivery system, a production system, uh, to to making masks uh, because of things that uh, that they know that that our country needed at the time, their city needed at the time to be safe. Uh, so, whatever it's kind of like our country was at war, and uh, we were ambushed, and uh, and we had to produce uh, to sustain ourselves, to promote life, to to save lives. And uh, just the, the American spirit, the spirit of, of liberty to continue to fight and to continue to research and find ways to come up with the vaccine. Uh, that was the American spirit that that was developed out of this virus. I would like to say that only a coordinated effort to work across sport organizations, non-governmental sectors, government, leisure providers, communities, um, etc., will allow us to uh, look at the impact of this pandemic in a more long term, but also understand that the immediate, uh, about the immediate priorities. And, uh, and if we do that, I think we're going to have to have an ongoing in, uh, approach of, of an inquiring mind, um, have conversations, engagements, um, and in this instance, I also would like to highlight the importance of governance, because I think what came to the fore, for me at least, is that we have to revisit how we empower our various executive committees, our boards, etc. And so I want to be bold to say that every country perhaps now need to revisit their national plans for sport and recreation and, and to begin to understand the, these, this, the new experiences we've had and how that will influence our future thinking. And con considering the very vast impact, only in pulling our experiences, our insights, uh, the data that we've collected, the ideas, the best practices, if we do this collectively, can we start to move forward in an understanding on how we will navigate the future to recover and build new pathways in this post, um, particularly post-vaccine landscape as a starting point and for me, it could only mean uh, new beginnings. So 
I am excited to be back at the office. Most importantly, to see our students, our staff, our communities active using our facilities and yes, being constantly mindful about our responsibility to be safe and to practice the precautionary measures that have been spreaded globally for us as citizens to remain vigilant and to remain um, positive about the future. So yes, um, here is to new beginnings and thank you very much for the opportunity. This is a great question. How do we define our community? You know, is it our personal community of close family and friends? Um, one could say it would, could be a professional community of those that you work with and people that you see every day um, at the office or in your job or um, just out and about. And then we could also, you know, f- philosophize about the global community that we live in. You know, the, the, we could say, one could say that, you know, we're all a part of a larger community of, um, of human beings, you know, and, but for me, I think, you know, lately I've been thinking a lot about my ethnic community. Um, I'm really proud to be um, part Native Hawaiian and Japanese, uh, and I've, you know, always um, valued the traditions and the cultures uh, that my um, you know, that my heritage has brought with me. And, and maybe, you know, the pandemic, maybe this is a, um, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse, you know, coming out of the pandemic, but it never occurred to me, um, you know, exactly how broken some of the, the you know, the uh, racial uh, tensions, you know, have really broken these communities that, that we all define for ourselves. I think, you know, my coping mechanism in dealing with racial incidents or um, acts of discrimination or sexism, which I certainly have faced, you know, in my lifetime, I think my coping mechanism was always to either laugh it off or to internalize, you know, and compartmentalize it to, you know, to, to not give the impression that it, it got to me, right? That that, that remark or that slur or... Um, you know, that reference um, made any difference to me in the world. You know, like it just brush it off and let it slide off your back, as a lot of people would say. But this pandemic uh, and, you know, especially witnessing some of the social justice practices and and um, uh, actions that some of the athletes have taken and using their voice, um, it really has uh, woken up a little bit of curiosity in me is like, why, why do these things happen still? You know, how is it that I've been able to, you know, survive some of them myself in my tiny little corner of the world and not be more upset when they happened? You know, I, I find myself getting upset now. Um, so really what, you know, what I guess I want to tell my community is we have to do better. You know, we have to listen more. We have to act more, whether it's, you know, I've been dealing a lot with sport and, uh, and sexual misconduct and abuse. Um, and that's a, a theme, a message. Like, please, you know, whether you're the victim, the survivor or a witness, when you see something, please say something. Um, we also have seen it now with the, um, you know, in my Asian community with, with a lot of the examples of violence against Asians. Um, you know, unfortunately, our Leadership in the United States prior to this election, you know, really put a burden on people of color, especially Asians, uh, making a direct, uh, very, 
you know, inappropriate judgment of the Asian flu or the Wuhan virus or the China virus or Kung flu. And words matter, right? And uh, with all the examples of, of violence against elderly Asians, especially, you know, I think the kid's message of when you see something, say something. It's like, it, I think it hurts more for the person who's victimized to know that there were people standing around not doing anything. You know, the, the athletes, I think, who have shared some of their experiences and some of their voices, um, I think that they're, you know, they are um, identifying or people are identifying with them. You know, these are your sports heroes. These are the people that you watch um, when you need entertainment or when you need a little bit of escape, you know, from your daily life. Turn on the TV, watch the volleyball match, watch the basketball game watch the Super Bowl and watch your favorite football teams and hockey and all those other sports um, or go out and play sport. You know, it's supposed to be an enjoyable part of our lives. And uh, when we hear, you know, are some of our idols and some of the challenges that they face uh, with racial injustice and, and uh, discrimination, you know, it, uh, it's a wake-up call. So to my community, um, I will say, what I learned from these young, young people that I've been spending some time with is that please, when you see something, um, please, please say something. Special thanks to Ilham Hunewald, Brent Conway, Dr. Fitzhill, and Lori Yakamura for sharing their stories and experiences with us. And we want to hear from you. What's your story? Share yours now at globalsportmatters.com and we may choose it for our future podcast. This episode was produced by me, Kendall Jones, manager of events and programs at Global Sport Institute and huge thanks to our sound design and editor, Sam Esparza and Big U Music. Global Sport Matters podcast is a production of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. Our manager of marketing and communications is Crisal Valencia, and our marketing and communications assistants are Julia O'Connell and Natalie Skegan. To stay up to date on the latest from Global Sport Matters team, be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at Global Sport MTRS, and be sure to sign up for our newsletter on our website by clicking the envelope icon at globalsportmatters.com. 